everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Lori Olson. Lori, do you want to say hello? Hey, Chuck. Hi. Blah. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> doing great. Um, now, we very recently had you on Ruby Rogues. We talked about Ruby Motion. Um, and just, just to give you a free plug, you are doing a course on that. I do have uh, several courses on that in the Windex School, uh, Windex.School. <laughs> we have the Ruby Motion Jumpstart and the uh, Motion in Motion Library, along with several other interesting courses. Nice. And if you're looking for that, folks, that was released on March 26th, and it was episode 405. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Um, so yeah, let's, let's jump in and talk about Lori. Well, one of your favorite topics, I'm sure, right? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, um, you, you kind of don't fit the generic profile of a programmer and, and I'm wondering how, how did you get into programming? Okay. So interestingly enough, I always felt I did fit the generic, uh, category of of a programmer because when I started programming, when I graduated from uh, university, my graduating class had like 42% women. Um, that was unfortunately where it peaked out and then it dropped off again. So <laughs> I spent my early career surrounded by women. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> it wasn't until about 10 years later, I kind of looked up and went, where did all the women go? <laughs> That's funny. Because, yeah, I mean, we, we generally wind up talking to guys, you know, my age or younger. I'm going to be 40 this year. I'm getting old. Uh, yeah, you're not old. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody older than me says. But, yeah, so it's just like, oh, okay. And then most of the women we talk to are younger. So, Yeah, there's, there, there's a um, – the problem, of course, is that there's lots of women who start out and then there's all these things that we refer to as the, the leaky pipeline. Women drop out really, really easily out of the developer jobs. And uh, it's not really that easy to get back in once you're out. So they tend to settle for things like project manager and business analyst and things like that right. without getting right back into the development. Yeah, and I think that's a human nature thing. I've talked to a number of men, actually, who have 
You know, they got into programming, they did it for 10 or 20 years, and then they, for whatever reason, stopped doing it for five or six, seven, eight years, and then they tried to come back in and found it really hard to break back in. So it's, it's kind of the nature of where we're at. And so, you know, the reasons might be different, but the, the result is the same. Yeah. On the other hand, because I've been around for a long time, I know that you pretty much have to reinvent your whole career every, I don't know, five to seven years, um, doing something completely different. So it shouldn't be that hard to get back in if you just sort of stand back and look at what's the new cool. <laughs> yep, that's true. Well, and people are getting in with no experience, right? So Exactly. So it shouldn't yeah. be a problem, and yet it is. Yep, absolutely. So I, I do want to back up then. So you graduated. Did you graduate with a degree in computer science? I do. I got a degree in computer science from the University of Calgary. Although that wasn't actually my first choice. Oh, really? I, uh, I let my guidance counselor talk me into it. Um, I, was, I was the classic science nerd. And uh -huh. my favorite um, class was always physics. So I wanted to be an astrophysicist. Nerd. And, <laughs> and the guidance counselor went, oh, there's no jobs for that. Um, later on, I found out that NASA recruited out of the astrophysics department in Calgary. So, oh, wow. Not that I was bitter about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, well, if I can't be an astrophysicist, maybe I'll be a geophysicist. Uh -huh. And probably a good idea to get talked out of that because even though what I really wanted to do was be a volcanologist, there really aren't very many jobs for volcanologists. Right. So I probably would have ended up in the oil industry like all the other geophysicists. Mm-hmm. And they're like the first people who get laid off whenever the oil prices crash. <laughs> right. So computers ah, turned out to be a good thing. I, I, I went into it taking the honors physics class alongside of all my other stuff, thinking if I hate the computers, I can always go back to physics. But as it turned out, I like the computers. So here I am. Yep. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. My, I have a cousin that's getting his PhD in astrophysics, and uh, yeah, down at Ole Miss. And then I also have a brother-in-law who's uh, he wants to get a PhD in physics so he can be a researcher. And I just look at both of them like you guys are gluttons for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of school. Yeah, I have to agree. Although I also wanted to uh, uh, get a higher degree, um, and then I got into a war with the honors advisor at the University of Calgary oh, wow. over, over what my course list should be. And you know, they don't actually like it when you go over their heads to the dean. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I won, I love it. but I lost. <laughs> <laughs> my mom wanted me to get a higher degree, but uh, I graduated and I got this thing called a job and I liked having money. So having money is good and having um, not built up student loans to the point where yeah. it took me a decade or more to pay them off was probably a good thing too. Yep. Yeah. Well, and we had two kids by then, so 
Yeah. Anyway, so you graduate with your computer uh, science degree. So did you learn to code in college then? Yes, I did. Um, I didn't even have a computer when I started university. I did get one during that year. I hope the so. The very first computer, TI-994A. Ooh, those are cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I remember um, after my grandpa retired, um, he worked for Rockwell International. He did some work on the space shuttle and things like that. But after he retired, he started inventing his own little gizmos, and he had one of those as kind of his machine. But yeah. Yeah, it was fun. And I got to learn things on that that they didn't even teach to computer science majors. So Nice. So, so how did you wind up getting your first job out of college then? You know, um, I had interesting summer jobs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, it, it, it's amazing how much an interesting summer job can, um, how far that can go to getting you interviews because mm -hmm. they're just curious. <laughs> right. So I had a, a summer job when I was a student working um, for the Department of National Defense huh. in Canada here at the Aerospace Engineering Test Establishment. And you know what? That sounds way more cool than it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> because I was mostly doing uh, Fortran and BASIC and uh, um, crunching numbers for them. But it sounded really cool, so I kept getting all these job interviews, and I ended up taking one of the best offers, which was large oil company. I ended up working at Shell Canada. Okay. They were in the process of backfilling their computer department after moving their headquarters from Toronto to Calgary. And they lost like an entire generation of computer oh, wow. programmers who didn't want to move. Mm -hmm. So they were hiring 40, 50 graduates per year. Oh, wow. Yeah. At that point. So it was really cool because there was like all these people and they're around my age, all starting at the same time. Um, so it was a very interesting and, uh, fun environment for a while and then it became less interesting and less fun and they downsized well today i have to say today shell doesn't have it shell canada doesn't have a computer department anymore because they outsourced it to one of the other shell operating companies in indonesia oh wow yeah, so at one point, while I was there, they had 530 people in the IT department. And now they just have a few, a few contractors that take care of, you know, computer support. That's about it. Interesting. So out there somewhere, there's like 550 people in, in the Calgary area that you know, I used to work with. It makes for quite an awesome network, let me tell you. Yeah, I'll bet. I'm, I'm a little curious, you know, we've, we've talked our way around, you know, college and, you know, maybe doing some Fortran and stuff for the government. 
Um, how did you find Ruby? Okay, so that was multiple jobs later. Right. Um, I, at, while I was at Shell, we switched from uh, Fortran to C to C++. I worked on one of the very first C++ projects at Shell just before I left. And then I was back to C. I went and worked for a company called Windex. Hey, that's the company I have now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only it was a different company. I worked for somebody else then. And we did a cross-platform graphical user interface toolkit um, so that you could write one user interface in C and it would run on Windows, DOS, X Windows, and Mac. Nice. And it was cool. Um, And then a few years later, Java came along and kicked the crap out of that business. (laughs) (laughs) because it was free so nobody wanted to pay right yeah so operating under the assumption that it's you know easier to join them (laughs) (laughs) fight them i became a java developer and that's when i um ended up as the last person standing at windex and i turned it into my personal uh consulting freelance company as a Java consultant. And I did that for eight years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I was at this this Java conference in Calgary and it was the No Fluff Just Stuff, if you've heard Mm -hmm. of those. I've heard of that one. And that's one where Dave Thomas always came and talked and he frequently talked about Ruby and I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but wasn't really using it for anything. But this particular conference, suddenly all anybody could talk about was this cool new web framework called Rails. I've heard of it. And as it happened, my coworker and I, who were at this conference, were starting a new project the day following the conference. And we kind of looked at each other and went, why don't we just, you know, blow a couple of weeks off the front of the schedule and see how far we could get using Rails instead mm-hmm. of Java? And I pretty much never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I had actually at that point been considering leaving development because I was hating Java development. And by that, I mean XML config files so much. <laughs> I think I was at a RubyConf one year where they actually said that XML is a DSL for Java. It, it pretty much is, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I had really seriously been considering, you know, what else I could do besides developing like when, <laughs> yeah, when I got introduced to um, Rails and, and, you know, Ruby more seriously. And I, I really did never look back. I just kept, kept doing Ruby development, um, had a number of other contracts that I did, working with lots of different companies. And uh, I just loved it. Nice. So what kinds of things have you done with Ruby? Okay, so back, way back when, when I first started, there was a 
a product called eTriever that was for the oil and gas industry. And we showed all the oil and gas data there was in eTriever, um, which included well data, pipeline data, facility data, environmental incident data, and land leases for um, oil and gas rights. So we had like a map with loads of data on it in the very early days of people actually using maps and data. Um, we used um, Amazon AWS stuff in the very early days of Amazon AWS um, to create a uh, set of tiles to display on those maps that ended up being several terabytes of data, which at the time was like ridiculous right. amounts of data. And we stored it all on S3 and learned lessons like don't start punching multiple hundreds of gigabytes of data into S3 without telling them first. <laughs> you know, who knew? Um, but yeah, we had, uh, instead of spending, you know, it was the early days of AWS where people weren't thinking too much about it, but we had the great use case. We had uh, the need to build out all of the, these this terabytes of data um, and it was going to take many, many, many CPU days to um, build that out, like more like CPU months and the equipment to, to do all that and was going to take like, I don't know, 50 to 70,000 bucks right. just for all the equipment to run that and to store that. And instead, we used Amazon, and I think the final end bill ended up being $1,900. Oh, wow. So that was, that was when I knew that Amazon was going to be a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And that was all yeah. in Ruby? That, that was all in Ruby. Like every, every single bit of it was, was in Ruby. And I all my on, data science friends are groaning at you. I yeah, I know. But hey, it worked. Yep. <laughs> and and I will say at the time, like Node and, and so forth didn't even exist then. So, so shut up. <laughs> all of my Node friends are groaning at you now too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, uh, after that, I went and worked um, with other uh, projects in uh, the HR space in Rails, uh, an app called Kudos, still, still out there, still with like Fortune 500 companies um, doing employee engagement and reward systems. There was other apps that helped small uh, service companies manage their projects and staff and equipment. Um, they, they were doing it all with shared Excel spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, pro tip, if you can find a business where everybody runs everything off of 
Excel spreadsheets, you can make a lot of money turning that into a Rails app. I actually registered a, a domain when I was a freelancer called Kill All Spreadsheets. <laughs> that, that was my plan was essentially to go, okay, I found this spreadsheet template for ABC and guess what? Here's a Rails app that does ABC and it's open source. And if you want to pay me to do it, I'll maintain it for you. And I never got that off the ground. And now I do podcasts, so it's a different thing, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, it, it's a thing. Yep. Um, I also did um, a lot of work in the video space um, with a company called Real Gravity that got, by, got bought by Scripps Networks. And if that doesn't sound familiar, Home and Garden TV, Food Network. <laughs> um, and we were monetizing all their little, little short clips off of those shows, um, providing them up as things that people could add to their blogs and, and uh, um, other networks with ads, of course. Yep. I don't know if you're like me, but when I have a new idea, I probably spend an hour looking for a domain that communicates the right thing to the right people so that they know what I'm about. And that's why I picked up as a sponsor the .tech domains. And you should definitely check them out. There's never been a domain that's helped represent the tech community so well. Getting a domain that's relevant to your brand, that helps encapsulate the ethos of what you're doing is just, it's hard. And the .coms a lot of times are taken up. And so having a .tech is really, really awesome. Now, I have actually picked up devchat.tech. We have a lot of SEO behind devchat.tv, so it probably won't switch, but I wanted that out there so that people can pick it up and know that devchat is about tech. And, and I just, I love the idea. So using a .tech domain was an awesome solution for us. It's short, it's relevant to what we do. It just sticks in people's head. It's a natural fit for anything technology. So if you're a programmer, if you're working on a tech startup or an open source library or things like that, it's definitely a great way to go. In fact, a lot of other companies have actually been moving over to .tech. So CES, which is a conference that I go to every year and uh, go check out all the new technology, they switched over to CES.tech from cesweb.org. Viacom has Viacom.tech to host their tech division. Intel chose Insight.tech for their latest initiative. Startups on a tech domain have raised more than a billion dollars on a .tech domain. So if you want your own .tech domain, go to go.tech slash MRS and use the coupon code MRS.tech and get a one-year tech domain at $9.99 and a five-year .tech domain at $49.99. Now, if you use this coupon code to get a .tech domain, tweet at me at CMAXW and let me know what .tech domain you got so that I can shout it out on Twitter. Uh, I'd really love to see what you're doing with this. And I think it's just a great product. So go check it out at go.tech slash MRS and get this deal today. So yeah, lots of different things that you can do with Ruby and Rails. And then eventually I got into mobile application development using Ruby Motion. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So you're, you're building all these Rails apps, just like, I mean, I think most Ruby developers get in because of Rails, right? So how do you get to, oh, there's this Ruby Motion thing out there? Well, I actually... Um, you know, I, I have all this stuff along the way that I did, but, right. you know, there were side trips. So I did a contract for uh, a company in Calgary that did uh, 
photo enhancement software. And they had some really cool technology, patented technology that actually runs in those little kiosk machines that you go up and plug your, your uh, SD cards into to print your, right. your photos. Okay, so their, their software is licensed and runs on all those little kiosks, but they wanted to sell it themselves too. So they wanted to do plugins, plugins for like Photoshop and, and right. stuff like that. So they had somebody that built their Photoshop plugin on Windows, but whoever that was didn't want to do a Mac version. So they hired me to write their Mac version. And at that time, Photoshop was still written in Carbon, which was C++. Mm -hmm. and, but I could see the writing on the wall. So I wrote that in Objective-C. I wrote that plugin in Objective-C because I knew eventually it was going to go there and the Objective-C yeah. thing was going to be more, uh, it'd have more legs. And that was very interesting. And I did like Objective-C more than C++, I'll say that. Right. But I still like C better than either of those. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, when, uh, the iPhone came out and finally, you know, the iOS SDK came out and you could write iPhone applications, I was like, cool, I want to write an iPhone application. And I started and I just, I just didn't like it. I, I didn't like programming in Objective-C. I found the contract switch from, you know, day job doing Ruby stuff to fun on the evenings and weekends. Well, it wasn't really that much fun <laughs> doing Objective-C. So my iPhone app never really got off the ground. And then Ruby Motion came out and I was like, awesome, now I can write my iPhone app using Ruby. Right. And honestly, it's not a lot different than uh, writing it in Objective-C because you still are um, working against all the same libraries, but it's Ruby. And, right. and there people have written lots of cool gems and lots of cool DSL type things to make writing iOS applications much more Ruby-like and fun. Nice. Yeah. I. I've kind of picked it up off and on. I haven't done a ton with it, but it just, it looks really nice. And yeah, I mean, just the niceties you get out of Ruby, you know, getting that in iOS development. Yes. And I don't know if, if you've, since you haven't done a lot of work with it, you may not have picked up on this nuance, but most of the um, outside the realm of Xcode most of the development tools that help one with iOS development are all written in Ruby. Like, yes, that's true. CocoaPods <laughs> is written in Ruby. CocoaPods, Fastlane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this stuff is all written in Ruby. So, and iOS developers that are, you know, Objective-C, Swift, they actually don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the Ruby motion developers are all like, yeah, we can do everything in Ruby. <laughs> yep. Well, it was funny. I was listening to a React Native Radio episode, and I think it was released here within the last week or two as we record this. And 
they were talking about fast lane and they're like they're like and it's written in ruby and everyone kind of went uh, ruby <laughs> right because they're all javascript uh, developers but yeah yeah but and then they were like yeah but it's super nice it's super nice and it's super um composable and extensible and everything else so yep. cool so um i usually ask what you're working on now and i'm going to get to that in a second but i've added a question after i sent you all the questions and the reason is, is i went to a podcasting conference and they were talking about interviews and i realized that i was kind of missing something and that is is that i, I kind of capture people's coding journey but i fail to capture them some. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this, and I'm, I'm kind of curious what your answer will be, but what, what does a day or, you know, what, what does, uh, yeah, what does Lori's life look like? Like, what, what, what do you spend your time doing both in and outside of code, you know? Just you. Okay. I, a few years ago, I left Calgary, where I lived for many years, and moved back to my hometown where my parents and my brother live. Um, it, it's Lethbridge. It's a small city. Um, but it has... My grandfather grew up in Raymond, so I've been up to Lethbridge <laughs> at least once or twice. Cool. So, yeah, it's, it's a nice place. And, you know, I was, I was as surprised as anyone when I moved here and discovered we have a tech incubator. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Exactly. Really? Yes, we do. So it's kind of fun. And we have a university and a college. Uh, fact is about it. While the, the school is on, about 10% of the population of the city is students. Oh, wow. So that gives it a real interesting young vibe that I enjoy. And uh, so yeah, um, my my husband and I both um, discovered that we could do all our work remotely. I am a developer, and he's actually a systems and network administrator. And you may go, ooh, could he work remotely? Well, he takes care of, most of the stuff he takes care of is in data centers. Mm -hmm. So it's all remote anyway. <laughs> yep. So... We, I did that when I was in college. And yeah, we would sit in our bunker underground right next to the data center at the university and we would remotely access all of this stuff. So yes, there might be a VPN or something in the middle, but that's it. Yeah. And you know, as long as there's somebody that you can use as your hands and feet that can go and, yeah. you know, punch power buttons every once in a while, it mostly uh, doesn't need to be hands-on. Yep. So with both of us working primarily remotely, that was when we decided we could leave Calgary and we moved to Lethbridge. So we both work from home. Um, I actually share my office with him. So I booted him out for this. <laughs> <laughs> He's working in the living room now. Right. But because uh, otherwise the typing noise would be horrible. He has one of those horrible old IBM uh -huh. keyboards that he loves and uh yeah so i have uh two dogs as well a rescue dog and a puppy so day in the life we get up we walk the dogs we come back and work in our office um i do 
remote meetings like this. Um, I have occasional jaunts out to the tech incubator where I give the occasional talk. And uh, I still do road trips up to Calgary to uh, network and see people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mostly work from home and uh, do everything from my office here. Nice. So one other thing we talked about when we were setting up, uh, you know, the call for Ruby motion and stuff was fantasy novels. <laughs> so yes. how did you get so deep into that? Cause that's, that's something that I just, I, I love fantasy novels and you gave me a whole bunch of ref, uh, referrals, half of which I had read and I was like, I need to reread those. And the other half I'm going, these look good. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I can give you more. <laughs> I'm sure. No, the, um, I started reading, um, like when I was a kid, I think, I think it really started when I was like eight years old or something and I was sick and my mom was tired of me whining and she threw a book at me. No, not, not really literally, but handed me <laughs> a book and said, you know, stop bugging me kid. And it was a book that I think some great aunt had given me that had just got thrown on a shelf and ignored. But then I got really, really sort of into it. And it was kind of a series. So I was reading that. And then my teacher, my, my teacher in uh, grade four used to read to us in the afternoon. Every afternoon she read to us. And she read um, Charlotte's Web to us. Mm -hmm. And um, oh, Stuart, Stuart Little. Yes, Stuart mm -hmm. Little little mouse guy and she read us the hobbit oh sweet yes and so the i think the year after that i discovered that the hobbit was just like the first book of a whole set of books so i read the lord of the rings when i was 10 oh nice <laughs> <laughs> and then i started branching out into stuff at the library and uh, I ripped through all the kids stuff so fast that my dad signed whatever waiver he had to to let the library let me take out the adult books mm -hmm. and I stumbled along across uh, science fiction then too so I have this massive science fiction and fantasy library that I really started collecting when I was like 10 years old. And I can remember when I was at university, one of my thoughts was when there were books coming out and I was like, oh, I can't afford to buy it. And I was like, damn it. When I get, you know, to have a real job, I am never going to limit my book buying. <laughs> right. If I want to buy a book, I'm just going to buy it. Yep. And yeah, um, I now have a whole wall of books and thank God for eBooks now. So <laughs> I don't have room for all the books. Um, I've been buying mostly eBooks for probably the last seven, eight years. So my right. actual book collection has not expanded in that time. And Your when, I, when, when we moved, I actually got rid of 10 boxes of books. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, so some friends of mine. Uh, some of those were books that I had replaced with ebooks, like mm -hmm. any sort of series that I was reading. Right. When a new book came out, I was just like, okay, I'm going to replace it from book one on with ebooks and got rid of the old ones. Right. Very cool. So what's your favorite? If you have to, if you had to just tell somebody one series to start with. You know, know hard. you know, if, um, if I have to, I would say, um, Lord of the Rings, man. Yeah. It, it remains my favorite fantasy um, book set that I re I reread it every you know four or five years just because it's awesome. And for science fiction, I'd have to give you um, the Foundation series by Asimov, uh -huh. and then beyond that set you can branch out into his whole robot series. Nice. I haven't read a bunch of Asimov. I should probably pick up some of his stuff. Oh yeah. Start, start. I'll send you the book to start on and just okay. like go with, cause the foundation stuff ends up linking back into the whole robot series anyway. So. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah. I, this is this is the stuff that I love getting into, right? So some people, it's like board games, and they'll go off on their favorite board game for hours. And so for other people, you know, it's it's this kind of thing. And and I, I'm really into all kinds of stuff related to this. Um, and you know, I grew up reading Terry Brooks and David Eddings and uh, Raymond Feist, and you know, and I just it was it was my escape. Not that life was hard, but just you know, I could disappear into a book for hours and uh, I, I know where I get it from because my mom still, you know, I was over at my mom's house last night and just walked in and I'm like, hey, mom, how's it going? And of course, then you have to do the obligatory mom, mom, <laughs> mom, and then Jackie, Jackie, and then you put your hand in front of her book and then she'll look at you. So, Yeah, my husband still doesn't get that he actually needs to get my attention like make me look at him because he'll talk to me and i'll respond and <laughs> nothing i don't remember a thing of it yeah and i'll see my mom and i'll be like so you look tired well i was reading this i i had to finish my book well how late were you up well i went to bed at five and i got up at six so i could go to school because <laughs> she teaches math at the high school so, <laughs> yeah that's awesome so yeah, and and I definitely got that from her. So, and yeah, we've gotten our kids into reading, just you know, somewhat deliberately. We limit their screen time; they can read as much as they want. So, yeah, yeah. very cool. So, what are you working on now? I just finished um, creating a new free tutorial um, that went out in conjunction with the announcement of. Dragon Ruby Game Toolkit. So Amir announced that at Ruby Kagi um, back uh, a little over a week ago. And that is a 2D game framework that you can use to create 
2D games, but you can, like, unlike the rest of RubyMotion, which the whole tool set runs only on Mac, mm -hmm. Dragon Ruby, you can develop on Mac or Windows or Linux. Nice. Yeah, so you can create games, um, fun, fun 2D games with Ruby. And he has packaged a whole bunch of uh, sample stuff in with um, Dragon Ruby Game Toolkit, including uh, Subspace Clone and now Flappy Dragon. <laughs> nice. And uh, Flappy Dragon is like, I think, 195 lines of code. Oh, wow. And, and some sprites. Like, that's how how cool this framework is. You can do so much with so little code. So if you're interested, um, Dragon Ruby Game Toolkit actually costs money. It's $40, <clears throat> uh -huh. but um, my tutorial is free. So if you just want to see what it's like, go ahead and sign up for my tutorial, which you can get to by going to dragonruby.school. Um, goes right to that tutorial. And, uh, if that excites you, then go ahead and grab Dragon Ruby Game Toolkit and start developing games. There's a whole lot of people really excited about that in the uh, Motioneers uh, Slack group, and everybody's talking about what cool old game that they're going to recreate using Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do the original Zelda. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That might be a little ambitious. I yeah. personally am working on a clone of Galaga. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's what the, the part of the tutorial is based on, is my, my first steps towards doing that. Nice. Yep, so everybody should go play uh, Lori's version of Galaga and then go watch Ready Player One. <laughs> okay, my, my version of Galaga isn't really ready for much yet, but... Um, yeah, you can uh, um, get the, I, th I think you can probably get uh, a version of Flappy Dragon to play. Um, so cool. you, should, you should download that and uh, check it out. Nice. All right. Well, um, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. Uh, do you have some things you want to shout out about, some pics you have? I recently replaced my um, iPad Pro. Mm -hmm. Not to say that I didn't love my iPad Pro and that I didn't love being able to use the Apple Pencil and draw on it, but I was so excited when the Mini came out. Nice. So there's a Mini version now that you can use the Apple Pencil on. And that is great. It is so much more portable and uh, I can just throw it in a bag so much more easily than my iPad Pro that I just love it to bits. Nice. Yeah, I have an iPad Pro. Not the ginormous, what is it, 12 and a half zillion inches. My, mine's the nine and a half zillion inches. So yeah, it, it's, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the one my husband has still. But yeah, I'm, I had a mini. And when the iPad Pro came out, I got the iPad Pro because cool. <laughs> yep. But but I I've always been pining for my mini, so I was really excited when this came. 
Yep. Cool. Um, I've got a couple of picks. I just want to remind everybody, um, last week I mentioned PodWrench. I am looking for beta testers. So if you're starting a podcast, uh, check that out. Or if there's a podcast that you wish were still running that is not running, especially if it's about code, let me know. Because I've been reaching out to people and helping them get those shows revived by finding them sponsors or bringing them into devchat.tv or both. So, or if they've become kind of infrequent that, you know, they post one every month or so. Um, yeah, usually there are reasons for that and I can help uh, alleviate some of that. So let me know. Um, and then another pick that I have, I'm, I'm gearing up to go to um, ng-conf uh-huh. and um, I just find that these programming communities are, are awesome. And, and I love a lot of the, you can usually find a Slack channel for a lot of them. I mean, you mentioned Motioneers, for example. Yeah. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're interested in a topic, you know, be it, you know, Ruby Motion or Dragon Ruby, as it's known now, um, or something else, go find a Slack channel for it and uh, get involved. Yeah, that's where all the, uh, the great conversations occur and, you know, all the help, like the... Dragon Ruby slash Ruby Motion community is super nice and helpful. Um, and I really enjoy participating in that. Yep. You know, one thing I forgot to mention, but if you go to my tutorial, you will see anyway. I do a weekly newsletter for Ruby Motion. Oh, nice. Uh, um, yeah, so rubymotionweekly.com. Um, you can go there and hit the sign up button if you want to get Ruby Motion slash Dragon Ruby News. I will be rebranding that as soon as they actually finish rebranding Ruby Motion. Um, right. And uh, that's a weekly newsletter. Sounds good. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I've got my next um, interview for my Ruby story. Okay. That's with um, Igor Morozov. Um, oh. But yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up and uh, we'll catch everybody next week. Sounds good. I'll look forward to your next Ruby story, Igor. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.